All right, let's get into God's Word here together this morning, continue to look at God's Word. I want to read, and we're going to focus on a couple of verses here, verses 12 and 13 from Hebrews chapter 4. It says here, Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. May God bless the reading of his word. So every generation is tempted to think that they have new ways to get around their parents and authority figures, you know. And with technology, they're not quite wrong this time around. <laughs> like, there are some ways that, that kids, and adult, or kids and teenagers come up with things like, how did you do that? I don't understand. But then again, adults, kids, let me just tell you this, teenagers as well, adults get so much satisfaction from watching you try to get around us. We're like, oh yeah, I've been there. I've been around the block. Like, I, I know exactly. I know exactly. We, we were trying that in the 1900s. Like, we know what's going on, okay? So, uh, and our grandparents were trying that in the 19th century. Like, we can see that. There's so much satisfaction in seeing somebody trying to get around something. So, back in the 4th century B.C., there was a philosopher and teacher named Aristotle. And Aristotle was working first with Plato in the academy and then later with, with his own school. And during that time, he wrote a couple of books called On Rhetoric. Uh, and in book 12 of the first, or actually chapter 12 of book 1 of Rhetoric, he's talking about the mindset or the approach of people who do wrong. So what drives someone to do wrong, to do something they're not supposed to? And it says there that the primary incentive for wrongdoing is thinking an act will remain hidden. The primary, this is Aristotle speaking, but he says the primary incentive for doing wrong is thinking that it will be hidden, that nobody will find out, that nothing will come of this. And we feel that deeply, don't we? Because of how tempted we are to hide, how tempted we are to think, I can do this and nobody's going to find out, it's not going to affect anybody, it's not going to be a big deal. And scripture over and over and over confronts that lie and says, Come out of the dark into the light. Confess your sins and find healing. Don't hide. Find a place to come into the light of God's word and let God's word shine on that part of your life. This morning, we're going to see the way that scripture doesn't allow us to hide. Scripture says you can try to act like I can do whatever I want. Nobody's going to find out. But God's word tells a different story to that. And if I can just tell you up front, these are hard verses. <laughs> these, are, these are difficult verses, but we need to hear them. Verse 12, look at it from the very beginning. What do you find here in verse 12? From the very beginning, this famous phrasing that the Word of God is living and active. When we talk about the Word of God, we're talking primarily about Scripture, that, that the Bible is this unified story that leads us to Jesus, that God spoke His Word. He spoke all things into existence, and so we experience His Word through the world that He created, but through the law and the prophets and the writings, all of those in the scripture pointing to Jesus. And then we have the New Testament scriptures written by the apostles given to us. We have the word of God given to us, all of it pointing toward Jesus. Kids in the room, elementary kids, when you think about your Bible, I hope you think about the shape of the cross. 
So I saw one of our fifth graders checking in this morning for Sunday school, and he had his Bible there with him, and it had a little shape of a cross on there. When you think about your Bible, I hope you think about the cross. And the reason this matters is partly because I just always want you to remember that the Bible points you toward Jesus. That's the purpose. Come to, bring your Bible to church. Bring your Bible to church. When you think about your Bible, it points you toward Jesus. But here's the other thing. The shape of the cross is so helpful for understanding how God wants to work in your life through his word. So the down arrow, and if you want to draw this and it helps you draw it, if you just want to think about it, that's fine as well. The down arrow just reminds us that God speaks to us first. The only way we are able to know about God is because he has revealed himself to us, his character and his plans and his promises. So God speaking to us, that is God's word, that down arrow. Then the up arrow reminds us that because we've received God, we can speak to him in prayer, in praise. So at Emmaus, we say up, worship is about prayer and praise. So God has spoken to us, and his word guides how we pray. His word guides the psalms that we sing. His word guides our praise back to him. The arrow going out to the left. At Emmaus, we would call that in, I-N. But that's, that's fellowship. That is Christians speaking to one another with the word of God. So you use God's word to encourage your friends when, when they're hurting. Students, you guys know about this. A friend's hurting, you send them a text message. And it's good to encourage them. It's really good to send them God's word. To say, I want you to remember the truth of scripture. We use God's word to speak to one another as believers. It's fellowship. It's coming together as part of the church. The little arrow going out to the right at Emmaus, we call that out, O-U-T, missions, evangelism. We want the word of God to go to people who have never heard that good news. And so what you can think about, when you think about the Bible, is it's the shape of the cross. It's God's word coming to us. We respond up to him in prayer and praise, guided by his word. We use his word in the church to encourage one another, and his word drives us to go out. What do we know from this verse? That God's word is living and active. When you think about the Bible, you are not talking about past tense historical material only. You are talking about the word of God speaking into your life right now. As God lives and speaks, so his word lives and speaks. As God is at work in your life right now, so is his word at work in your life right now. Which means... When you open up your phone and you click on the Bible app and there's God's word there each day and you look at that, that is the word of God speaking to you in that moment. It's not a quiz about history. It's not a rule book. It is the word of God speaking into your life at that moment. We believe that to be true about God's word and we believe God's word is effective. It's powerful. It transforms and changes our life. And so then the question we have to ask is, how? So I believe that God's speaking through his word. You can say, okay, I'm with you. I'm willing to go there. I'm going to go for, go for that. How does God transform my life? How does God change my life through his word? Well, look at the second half of verse 12. And there's th- if you like to take notes, there's three points that are coming, three ways that God's word changes, changes our lives. Middle of verse 12, God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is an all-piercing sword. God's word convicts. God's word deals with what is going on under the surface of my life. So think about it like this. Let me give you a word, kind of a picture in your mind that, that might help. You're at home. Put yourself at your kitchen table. Put yourself wherever, wherever you like, but, but you're at home studying your Bible, okay? So you've got your Bible open in front of you. Students, this is the desk in your room. This is your kitchen table, whatever it is. But you're sitting there, and you're going to study and read your Bible. And you've got your pen out or your pencil or your highlighter or whatever you're, whatever you're using, and you're working through the Scripture. I want to know what this means. I want to take notes. I want to ask questions. And we're trying to read and dissect and understand the Word of God. Imagine that God overwhelms you in that moment, and just as you are seeking to dissect Scripture and understand Scripture, God is doing that in your life as well. Here's the way I want to say it to you. We not only read the Bible, but the Bible reads us. <laughs> because if we just focus on reading the Bible, it's a document out there that I can understand and study and ask questions about, but I never really let it deal with my life. And friends, I can tell you, I've been around the academic world for a while when it comes to the Bible. There's a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible and it has never made an impact on their lives. How they think, how they believe, how they live. We can read scripture all day long, but until scripture reads us, we've missed the point. And we say that we need scripture to pierce our hearts, to go below the surface. Why? Because we are experts at hiding things below the skin, below the surface. <laughs> we've grown up in kind of Bible Belt type world. Many of you have. You know how to look Christian. You know how to look like it's all together. You know how to look like everything's fine. And below the surface, it is not fine. And God says, you can try to hide from others, but my word pierces. My word convicts. My word goes to your motives and to your idols, those things that control your life and guide your life, those things that if you felt like you lost it, you would lose everything. What is at the core of your life? How do you know that? God's word pierces. God's word convicts. God's word says, what I was living for is not what I'm going to live for anymore. God's word says these things that I wanted to be at the center of my life, they don't need to be at the center of my life anymore. We need to allow God's word to pierce our hearts, to pierce our lives, and to see what's going on under the surface. Number two, look at verse 13. It gets harder. <laughs> it gets even more intense. Verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Number two, how does God's word work in our lives? God's word, God, speaking of here, an all-seeing eye that he judges. Now let's be honest up front. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 takes a little maturity to think about. It can be taken the wrong direction, but Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 is very clear that you can hide things from people around you. You can hide things on your phone, but you cannot hide from God. You can spend your whole life trying to hide, trying to go over here, trying to play a cover-up game. God knows. God sees. 
He is the creator of all things, and he is the judge of all people. And you're like, well, where's the good news after that? Well, we need to make sure we get that news first, okay? There's good news. Don't worry. Hold tight. There's good news. But God's word is a sword that pierces our lives, and God knows all things, and we will all give an account to him. And at that moment, at that moment, you can kind of go one of two ways. You can say, yeah, I'm not having that religious guy on the stage. Like, I'm, no. Like, I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own direction. I'm not going to play into the fear of God. I'm going to go my own way. That, that's an option. That is a path that people take that say, I'm just not going to listen to that. I'm going to go my own way. Or, here's the other option. You come to the end of yourself and say, God's word has penetrated my heart. God's word has shown me the idols in my life. God does know all things. I am going to give an account before God one day. And that creates a holy, righteous fear of God that does what? In our best moments, in the moments that are true of Scripture, it drives us back toward the Lord. Look at verse 16, okay? Now, I want you to know, Verses 14 through 16 is what we are going to look at next week. We're going to take all of verses 14 through 16, and we need to see that whole section together. But, but this morning, verse 16, Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I didn't want to leave you at verse 13. Uh, God convicts. God judges, you're going to give an account before God one day. Have a good lunch. Like, I hope it goes well. And so, uh, like, I, I, didn't want to I didn't want to leave us at verse 13 because the thought of the chapter doesn't stop at verse 13. It pushes into verses 14 through 16. And you need to see the hope here that God's word also speaks a message of salvation and life and that we can come to him. Tim Keller, who's a well-known author and Bible teacher who passed away a few weeks ago, I love Keller's summary of the Christian life. He says Christianity means that I am fully known and fully loved. I am fully known by God, and I am fully loved by God. Have you ever been concerned that if someone really knew you, they would no longer love you? Have you ever been concerned that if someone really knew what was going on in your life, they really knew what was in your past, they really knew what was going on below the surface, if they really knew that, they wouldn't love you anymore. The message of Christianity is God knows you completely and he loves you fully. And he showed that love by sending his son to take on your sin, to take on your past, to take on all that brokenness and junk, and in return to give you his righteousness and his life that you can draw near to him. Kids, well, you, this is not just for kids. This is adults. We can all remember times like this. Times you know, you know you've done the wrong thing, and you think, I am scared to go to my parents. <laughs> like, I'm scared to go and tell my teacher or my coach what I've done. And Scripture says, even in those moments when you know you're not in the right place, you can run to your father. We already saw an example of that this morning. Like, uh, when you are in a hard place, when you are hurting, you can go with confidence before God that he will restore you, that he will give you life. Now, 
Here's a little side question, a little, little side thing to throw in here. What does this have to do with deacon ordination? Like, what's the connection, maybe, between Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, and deacon ordination? Well, I'm going to take you just for a second, and if you'd like to turn over in your Bible, you definitely can do this. The, the verses will be up on the screen, but I want you to make a connection with Acts chapter 6 in your Bible. So, if you'd like to navigate to Acts chapter 6, what we're wanting to do is we want to think about the importance of the Word of God, the power of the Word of God, and what's the connection between that and a church having deacons who are serving the church and caring for widows and meeting needs and, and serving as assistants alongside the, the pastors and the elders. So let's make a connection here with, with Acts chapter 6 in our Bibles. Found my little candy cane uh, bookmark this morning, so uh, using that. Christmas is coming. I, I don't know. Whew, I heard this cold front was coming through today. I was expecting just a little bit more. Like, I, I, I want to be grateful, you know? Like, I don't want to be like an ungrateful type of person, but like, this was not what I was signing up for on this cold front. Like, we need some more, <laughs> you know, to come. So, all right, Acts chapter 6. Let's make this connection here. Verse 1. Now, in these days, the days of the early church, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the, the Greek-speaking people, arose against the Hebrews, a uh, different group of people, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. When things are happening in a church, when, when things are beginning to happen, it, we know that the enemy is going to attack. And, and a lot of the times that attacking comes in the form of complaining and grumbling. And that's not a 21st century problem. That's happening right here in the earliest days of the church. And so people are being neglected. Widows are not receiving their, their meals. You think about this as like first century Meals on Wheels situation, okay? So like they would take food around and make sure these widows were cared for. And certain widows seemed to be getting left out because they spoke another language. They were from a different background. And so you have this disunity that's happening in the church. Verse 2. So the twelve, the twelve leaders, the twelve apostles here, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, got everybody together and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, this is fascinating. So the leaders in the church, they see this problem developing. Some of these widows aren't getting their meals on wheels. It's not coming to them. They're feeling left out. There's disunity in the church. And the leaders say, if we take on that task, we're going to neglect teaching the word of God, presenting the word of God to the church. So it's not right that we neglect the word of God to serve tables. Let me clarify something here. Spiritual leaders in the church should be the first to serve. Like we pick up trash, we clean tables, we do what needs to be done because we're followers of Jesus. We're in this together. This, though, is specifically talking about a logistical problem, a need that needed to be met. And if they focused on this, they were going to neglect the word of God. So what happens there in verse 3? So therefore, brothers, pick out from among you men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So there's going to be a group that's going to make sure these widows are cared for, make sure these needs are met. They're going to assist the pastors in this so that they can continue 
teach the word of God and pray for the people and lead the people to grow in their spiritual life. Jump down. So all these things happen. Jump down to verse 7. What happens as a result of this? The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What happens? What happens when you're in a church that values and proclaims the word of God? The church says we need that. Our only hope is to have the word of God put before us. We want to be a part of a church where God is at work. We want to be a part of a church where lives are changed. We want to be a part of a church where the church grows and is strengthened and the gospel goes forward. How does that happen? It happens when you commit together to say we are going to make sure we serve people in need and we are going to make sure we proclaim the good news of Jesus. And we believe both of those matter. You get into weird church situations where those two strangely become competitors or they get set against each other. Like either we could serve people or we could proclaim the word of God. And we just say they both matter. And we are going to hold on to them both. And we're going to have leading servants in the church. We're going to have deacons that are assisting the pastors to make sure we're doing that. And we're going to make sure we continue to set the word of God before you. Because the reason you come, the reason you want to be a part of what's going on is because you need the word of God in your life. And you understand that and you have that hunger in your life. If you don't have a hunger for the word of God, go to God in prayer. Talk to people around you. Say, God, I need your word to speak in my life. When you open your Bible, Amanda and I were talking about this last night when we were walk, walking around the lake in our neighborhood, but when you open your Bible or you open your phone to look at Scripture, are you expectant that God will speak to you in that moment? Like, is your heart full of expectation? God, speak to me. Show me what's going on in my life. Show me how I need to respond. Create a hunger in my life for your word. I want to receive it. If you don't know how to do that, talk to somebody. Contact me. One of my favorite things to do, somebody just reaches out and says, hey, I'd like to know how to read the Bible more. I want to get more involved. Reach out to somebody in your Sunday school class. Connect with the church. There's opportunities where you can grow. Uh, out here on the wall, on the south side of the lobby, we have some resources that will help you in reading the Bible. If those don't make sense to you, send me an email. Send me a text message. I would love to talk to you about what this looks like. We receive God's word. It changes our lives because we realize that we are fully known and fully loved. And it sends us out so we can share that message with those around us. When I think about Emmaus, when I think about what this church family means to me and my family and, and who we are as a church, one of the things I love the most is we are a church that is committed to serving people in need. We are going to continue to meet needs. We're going to continue to be connected to our community. We're going to continue to reach out to people who need hope, who need help. And at the same time, if we ever stop proclaiming the word of God and saying the word of the God is the core foundation of everything we do, you guys are going to be on top of that. Like you are not going to let that happen because we say that is what it means to be a church of Jesus Christ. That is what God has called us to do. As we wrap up this morning, here's what I'd like us to do. All throughout the service this morning, we have been reading scripture together. We've been thinking about the word of God and we're going to do that together here at the end, we're going to have a chance to read scripture together, and I'm going to pray over you. And after I pray over you, we're going to be dismissed. 
You're going to be able to talk to people around you, go out. I know many of you go into lunch together because you have family to, together today. But at the end of the service, after I pray for us, if you're here this morning and you just need somebody to pray for you, you're here this morning and you feel really uncomfortable reading your Bible and you'd like some direction about that and what to, what to do, we stay right up here at the front. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to give you some resources. We'd love to encourage you in that. And let me remind you, let me remind you, if somebody asks you, hey, what is, what is Christianity all about? Like, how, how can I understand this, this Christian faith? You are fully known and you are fully loved. God, who knows all things, who is the creator and judge, he is the one who loves you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so that you can have salvation and life, not only now, but for all of eternity. And if you don't know in that in your life, we would love to talk to you about that. Let me ask you to do this. Would you stand with us right now? And we're going to read God's word together. Just like Jaron had it up on the screen. I'm going to read the part that's in italics. If you'll respond with the part that's in bold, we're going to read out of Psalm chapter 19, which kind of got shoved to the bottom of the screen there a little bit. But I'm going to read the italics if you'll respond with what's in the bold. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy. The commandments of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are clear. Reverence for the Lord is pure. The laws of the Lord are true. They are more desirable than gold. They are sweeter than honey. Keep your servant from deliberate... Oh, they are a warning to your servant. How can I know all the sins in my heart? Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Then I will be free of guilt. And then let's read this last slide together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a worship service centered around your word, reading your word, thinking about your word. God, thank you for these families that have been part of the service today with our deacon ordination. God, thank you for the deacons who care for widows and meet needs and promote unity in our church and allow the pastors to focus on the word and prayer. And God, I pray when people think about Emmaus, when they think about who we are as a church, that we are committed to serving people in need. We love our community. We love our school systems. We love being able to share the good news of Jesus. And we are committed to the word of God. God, that we would never back away from that. That we would say that the word of God in prayer is at the core of who we are. And God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that maybe if they were honest, they've just kind of grown bored with scripture. They're not reading the Bible right now. God, would you draw them back to your word? And God, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that they've been hiding things behind, behind closed doors, they've been hiding things on their phone, things are a mess under the surface of their life, even though they're trying to make sure everything looks right on the outside. 
God, would you help them to know that they are fully known by you and they are fully loved. And God, would you call them back to the good news of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.